Hello, everyone. You're listening to Cat and Sam, and this is Off the Ice, a Ball Talkers affiliate, a show where we cover all things hockey. All right. For episode six, a lot has happened this past week. So, Sam, what is our first topic? The Vancouver Canucks have made their comeback this week after being absolutely rampaged with COVID. We have more on the craziness that's their schedule coming up. Speaking of schedules, the IIHF Women's World Championships is coming up from May 6th to the 16th, so we will be breaking down the teams that are involved and what you can expect from that tournament. And then, as always, we have our hockey community highlight, where this week we'll be highlighting the Headway Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing education, aid, and awareness around head injuries in sports, so stick around to hear more And as always, we like to start off each episode by handing out our stars of the week. So Sam, who is your non-New York Rangers pick for star of the week? My first star, which is not a New York Ranger, although absolutely could give every one of my stars to Panarin and the Rangers. My first star is Patrick Marleau, an absolute legend. He has officially passed Gordie Howe for the most games played In NHL history, the San Jose forward stepped on the ice for his 1,768th game versus the Golden Knights. This is Marlowe's 23rd season in the league, where he's played 21 of them for the Sharks. And this season, he extended his 898th consecutive regular season game streak, which is the fourth longest in the history of the league. He was drafted second overall in 1997, where he made his debut only 16 days after his 18th birthday. He is also the youngest player to make his NHL debut since Bueller played at 17 years old in 1943 with the Red Wings. And I almost can't believe that I'm saying this, but Marlowe has played for four decades making him only one of three active players in the league who played during the 90s in company with Joe Thornton and Zidane O'Chara. Before I wrap up, because I could talk about Marlowe all day, you guys, I'm sorry, but some stats for you here. As a result of his career thus far, Marlowe has appeared in 70.5% of all regular season games in Sharks history. And when considering the games that he's been a part of the roster, he's appeared in 98.1% of them. So that's insane. Patrick Marlowe is a freak of nature. He's 41 years old. And look at him. What an achievement for Marlowe. He's no doubt getting my first star. Hats off to Patrick. My favorite thing about Patrick Marlowe this week has been all of the like, where were you in 97 where he was drafted posts? Uh, I personally was not alive yet. (laughs) So that shows like how long he's been playing in the league. He's incredible. I would love to see what his fitness plan is because to be playing at such a high level at 41 years old with the speed that he still has, I incredible. What an amazing first star. My first star, and it kind of goes with along what we're going to be talking about the Vancouver Canucks a little bit later, but my first star goes to William Nylander for getting his 100th goal at 24 years old. That's a big deal. And I know there's been a lot of people on Twitter saying he shouldn't have celebrated so hard since his 100th goal came in the Canucks first came back from COVID hell. And I don't know, guys, it's his 100th career goal. That's a huge milestone. And, and I'm not going to begrudge him his celebration whatsoever. You know, the decision to have the Canucks play again, that wasn't his decision. You know, he didn't force him to come back. And he shouldn't be blamed for circumstances of a game that he had no control over. 
you know, if a Vancouver Connects player says something about how they felt the celebration was disrespectful, that's totally one thing. But to my knowledge, that wasn't the case. And it's been fans on Twitter who had a lot to say about it. So take that what you will. But regardless, you know, 100 career goals for Nylander, that's incredible. He deserves recognition for that. And if he wants to celebrate, go ahead. Yeah, man. Like, let the the kids celebrate. Let the kids play. Like, he should absolutely be excited. A hundredth goal at 24 years old. I mean, that's amazing. So my second star is a little bit of fun news out of Minnesota. Zach Parisi has become the fourth U.S.-born player in NHL history to score 75 game-winning goals. I know. Pretty cool, right? And he's also very close to recording his 400th career point with the wild which when he does will make him only one of three players to do so with the organization so Zach Parisi Minnesota has been so great this season and again Zach Parisi he's been in the league for a while I feel like he's no less of a player now than he has been in the past a great second start and also I love it when you pull out your like endless stats knowledge for us because it's so great I'm always going to give you guys the random stats you know that you're like an endless like database. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> my second star, that's a fun one. I like to get a little funky with it. This one caught my eye on Twitter and I just, I was like, this is great. Igor Larionov the second. You get a star because he had a whole Twitter post saying that the NHL should push the worst three teams in the league into the AHL every year. And I think it was part tongue in cheek, part like, I was like, that's not a bad suggestion. Like he had a whole, you know, he had receipts to back it up. You know, I'm listening. I don't know how that would work with the NHL, but could you imagine? (laughs) Like, we would never see the Anaheim Ducks or Buffalo Sabres, like, ever again. It would be crazy. Truthfully, when I saw that on on Twitter, I thought that he was joking. I thought that he was kidding. And then when you followed up with the thread, he was kind of, like, supporting why he thought it would be a really good idea. That's so funny. Shout out to Buddy because it's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. Okay. And my last star is absolutely going to Braden Holpe for that poster worthy windmill save he made against the Maple Leafs. And I mean, at this point, I think anyone who watches hockey has seen it, but if you haven't already, my God, you need to. First of all, Holpe made this beautiful poke check followed by an incredible kick save. And plus the Canucks went on to beat the Leafs 3-2 in overtime. So hope he's taking my third star, especially bringing the Canucks back after their their COVID rampage. No doubt. Hope he's getting the third star. I feel like Brayden Holpe is one of those players who we kind of expect this of him all the time. I feel like he's so built up. And, you know, in the past couple of years, hasn't been his best. But this windmill save, I was like, that is the Holpe that we love and know and respect. And it's so great to see him back, especially after everything that's happened with Vancouver Canucks and COVID. Incredible save, highlight reel. We're going to be seeing that for the next 10 years, I think. No doubt. So for my third star, it goes to the Buffalo Sabres. And I mean this genuinely. The Buffalo <laughs> Sabres have officially been eliminated from playoff contention for the 10th season in a row, which actually ties the Edmonton Oilers in Florida Panthers for the longest playoff drought in history, which is a fun stat. Not so for the Buffalo Sabres, but it's an interesting one to note. Um, we've talked a lot about the Sabres institutional issues and how much pressure is on the players um, 
you know, and I, I want to extend my start to the Sabres roster because despite the odds stacked against them and what seems to be, a, frankly, an awful playing environment, they've really turned it around this season without their captain. You know, they've really put the pressure on in the past couple of weeks. So kudos to them. That's not easy to do. And they deserve recognition for their hard work, even if they aren't going to be making the playoffs this year. Yeah, I can imagine it must be incredibly hard to like continue to play, you know, with all that heart and drive and effort when you know your season's pretty much over at that point. That being said, they've gotten a lot of smoke, like a lot of smoke. And they definitely, from us, you know, included as an organization, maybe not so much the players, but I'm sure they have some type of feeling like they have something to prove. And I'll be really, really interested to see how they hopefully bounce back next season. Um, And I will continue to say a prayer for them for the rest of this one, because I think that's all we can do for Buffalo right now. Like we said earlier, we are going to be talking about the Vancouver Canucks and their absolute battle with COVID. Early in April, it was announced that Canucks had officially had 21 players test positive, 25 people total, if you count the four staff members who had also tested positive for COVID. As a result, six of Vancouver's games were postponed, and they are now expected to play their remaining 19 games in 32 days. You know, I love my numbers. I did the math. And according to Hockey Reference, Vancouver has a 34-man roster. So if 21 of their players tested positive, that means that nearly 62% of their team tested positive for COVID. Let me kind of backtrack and repeat my original statement, but a little differently. The Vancouver Canucks, the same team that just had nearly 62% of their team test positive for an international virus, will now get back on the road and play 19 games in the next 32 games. And I want to be clear here. I'm not suggesting that Vancouver is going to in any way infect anyone else or spread the virus or make anyone sick. I'm just kind of surprised, I guess, at how much they're being expected or how much is being expected of a team who's just coming off a major hit like that. It kind of just seems like a lot. And, you know, the Canucks resumed play on Sunday, April 18th against the Maple Leafs, where they ended up taking home a W with a 3-2 win in overtime. So that's really great for them. But what a road they have for the rest of the season. I feel like this is such an interesting situation because we've seen teams in the past you know, have a couple of players test positive or at the very least get placed in COVID protocol, the team shut down for a little bit. But we haven't seen anything to the degree that happened with the Vancouver Canucks where, I mean, what what did you say? 62% of their team, that's a huge number. You know, when you put it in perspective like that. So I think this is a really interesting situation where at the beginning of this season, I think there were a lot of fans who were saying, you know, I shouldn't say a lot. There were some people who were saying, you know, why are we even playing? You know, it's COVID. Like, we shouldn't even be putting the players out there, whatever. And, you know, obviously, with or without a bubble, the team or the season has been, you know, I think a success for the most part. You know, and the NHL couldn't just not play financially in terms of contracts, right? They had to. And I think with the CBA, they, they also had to play. But we're kind of at a situation that I think a lot of people, you know, maybe expected to see more of just with COVID and with Canada's current situation. 
you know, they're not able to vaccinate people as quickly. Cases are rising. You know, it's, I'm not surprised specifically with Vancouver. I think it's less the Canucks players and more of where they are geographically. And so it's been interesting to see how the NHL has kind of handled this because I think this was their big kind of COVID moment, so to speak. And while they definitely did have to play, right? Like the NHL had to have a season. I would have thought they maybe would have had plans in place for teams being shut down for as long as the Vancouver Canucks were. And I think what we're seeing is that the NHL maybe didn't plan for this as well as they should have. With a condensed season, they should not, I don't think, be playing 19 games you know, and like, that's ridiculous. When you're having a team coming off of COVID, I'm sure a lot of those players are probably dealing with, you know, post-COVID viral symptoms. They're not at their full health. That's really tough on them. This is a situation that I would have expected more of the players to be involved in, in terms of, you know, that return to play program instead of the NHL saying, this is our plan for how you're going to finish the season. And then that's how it's going to be. JT Miller was very outspoken about how he felt about the teams being rushed back. Originally, the Canucks were supposed to come back on Friday against the Oilers, but after Miller's comments, the league ended up giving them a few extra days to prepare. If you had listened to our episode last week, which you definitely should have because you would have just been in the loop this entire time, but you would know that Miller made his voice heard about how he was feeling with the team's comeback. He said, quote, what we're being asked to do is not going to be too safe if you're asking me, end quote. He continued later to say, quote, it's kind of frustrating if I'm being honest with you. We try to talk about the number one priority being the player's health and their family's safety. It's almost impossible to do what they've asked us to do here on our return. So after those really big words... Um, The league ended up giving them a couple extra days to prepare. And I do kind of wonder, I hadn't thought about this until you brought it up in terms of vaccinations. Is there an equal opportunity case if American-based athletes are offered the vaccination at a quicker rate than those players outside of the U.S.? Because like Canadian players are technically the most at risk here when it comes to COVID and playing. It's definitely an interesting conversation that I didn't think about until honestly, just right about now. I didn't think about it until you're saying that. And that's so interesting because I feel like there could be the possibility for that. And I think the other thing that's really interesting. And so the reason I brought up the CBA and the reason that the NHL kind of had to have a season, both financially and contractually, you know, in the first place, is because like, you know, under the CBA players have to play. Like there's contracts and there's, you know, statements in place that necessitate some of the league's positions on things, right? So I wonder if this situation and JT Miller kind of, you know, maybe illuminates it for how some of the players are feeling about it, where there's this rift between player safety and what the NHL wants to do and what the players want to do, especially in terms of contracts, right? Player contracts in the CBA. I wonder if there's any sort of, maybe not discrepancies, but just kind of contention there. If players don't want to come back and play or don't feel comfortable coming back and play, but maybe they're contractually obligated to, to some degree. And maybe the NHL can say, listen, you said 
that at the beginning of the season that you would play this amount of games, which they did, right? Every player had to opt into the season. They signed a contract saying that they would follow COVID protocols, that they would play the season, that they would do this, that, and the other. You know, can a player really say, you know what? I've gotten COVID. I don't want to play anymore. I don't know if they're able to do that necessarily. And I'm not saying that's what's happening here where there's Vancouver Canucks players saying they don't want to play the rest of the season. I think it's pretty clear that they want to finish it out for the most part. But I think it's an interesting situation to consider that things are much more complicated beneath the surface in terms of legal disputes and what players in the league are contractually obligated to. I think especially, and I'm sure it's like case to case, but you said this earlier, the NHL should have been prepared for something like this. And they have done a really great job so far with their teams and keeping everyone healthy and safe and in those bubbles, you know, their own versions of bubbles, whatever that means for each team. But I do think that this should have been an expectation for at least somebody. And with that in mind, you would hope that maybe you wouldn't have to push teams to play 19 games in 32 days. Like maybe you would have just given the season an extra week or so for things like this. And you know what, if it didn't happen, then you could have just moved things up. Like it could have been tentative. Again, I know that sports are a business. And like you said, there's a lot of things number wise that we don't see, but I get it. It's hard. This is a, like we said earlier, international pandemic. It doesn't come with a rule book and a safety guideline book of how to best deal with it. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna really keep the Vancouver Canucks legs in my in my prayers because 19 games in 32 days that is a lot of hockey. That sounds like a baseball schedule. That does not sound like a hockey schedule. That sounds like a baseball schedule. So these boys are gonna have a tough next couple of weeks. And and on top of the fact that they're recovering, that 60 2% of their team is recovering co- from COVID. I will say this before I have math people jump on my back. It was 61.5, but we all know we would round up. So I said nearly 62%. Okay. So I don't need someone on Twitter coming here and be like, it was 61.5. I know. I know it was. Okay. I know. <laughs> I, yeah, I think one of the other things that, you know, people were concerned about, they're like, oh my God, the Vancouver Canucks are going to like absolutely tank the rest of the season because of their terrible schedule, and, which, you know, some of it's kind of outside the hands. You're right. Like they're, the NHL is doing the best that they can in terms of scheduling. They are limited in what they can do because of playoffs and, and what have you. But, you know, their win over the Leafs in OT 3-2, again, we talked a little bit earlier in our stars, you know, Braden Holtby, they, there were some really amazing plays in that game. Like that was an exciting game to watch. And so if you're a Canucks fan and you are, you know, worried about the Canucks not doing well this latter half of the season, I don't know if you have to worry so much. I think this game was kind of a big test of what the Canucks could do. And I think they really proved themselves coming out of COVID. If you've been craving international hockey, I have some good news for you. On May 6th to the 16th, the 2021 International Ice Hockey Federation Women's World Championships are back. They were canceled in 2020, but they're back in 2021. Uh, and it'll be held in Halifax and Truro in Nova Scotia, Canada. And we are pumped. We're so excited for it. We still don't have all the official rosters, which is like Loki driving me insane. I would love it if they could finalize it. I'm looking at you, Canada. 
but we do have all the details for the upcoming championship. So we're going to break it down for you. But as we're talking about it, keep in mind, it's a COVID year. As if any of us could forget, but it bears repeating. So there's less countries involved. It's a little bit different. But if you watch the Men's World Juniors Championships, it's kind of the same story. It's a lot of what you can expect. So we're going to break it down group by group, group A and group B, and just chat about them a little bit. So a little overview. Group A is USA, Canada, Finland, Russia, and Switzerland. There's no surprises there. Those are the top five in women's international ice hockey. But group B is a little more interesting. Group B is Japan, the Czech Republic, Germany, Denmark, and Hungary. Starting off with Group A, and, you know, the number one internationally ranked women's ice hockey team, also our home country, the United States of America. The women's national ice hockey team in the U.S. has medaled in every single major tournament they have ever played in. And with the exception of the 2006 Winter Olympics when they won bronze, they've either medaled gold or silver in every single major tournament. When I say this team is number one in the world, I mean it, okay? I'm not being hyperbolic or like aggressively American. They're the best ever. (laughs) The USA has won gold in the last five straight world championships, okay? The last five straight. So we'll see if they can take their six straight world championships gold. I am so excited about the USA 2021 IH. F roster. 17 of the 25 players rostered were members of the US IIHF Women's World Championship team that won gold at the 2019 Games. And a stat I found super interesting. I feel like I've said that three times today. But when it came to this roster, there are actually only 11 of 50 states represented, which felt kind of small to me. Minnesota has six representatives. Illinois has four. Wisconsin and New York both have three. Michigan and Massachusetts have two. And California, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Idaho, and Colorado each have one as well. That being said, training camp is being held in Portland, Maine, where the players skated in their first scrimmage of camp which consisted of three 15-minute periods followed by an ice cut, followed by seven minutes of four-on-four, and then another five minutes of three-on-three. So it sounds like the women of the USA team are skating their butts off. It sounds like they are ready, and I am so excited to watch them hit the ice. Oh, I totally agree. I feel like I've been just, like, tracking every movement like Team USA has made on social media. I'm like, I'm ready for this content. I can't wait for it. Standing next to Team USA in the international standings, it's Team Canada. They're ranked number two internationally. But, and I hate to say this for our Canadian viewers, they haven't done as well in the World Championships recently. The last medal they pulled in the World Championships was a bronze in 2019. So, you know, the last one, but still you can bet that they'll be looking for a medal this time around. Team Canada has a lot to prove. So I think it'll be really interesting watching Team USA and Team Canada kind of duke it out on the ice. I know. I am so excited for that Canada-USA matchup. I'm always excited for it. It feels like all of North America is on the edge of their seats when they play each other. It is so exciting. But I did notice when I was doing a little bit of research for this episode that they have also, much like the Buffalo Sabres, been on a 
roller coaster with their with their coaching staff. They have had nine different head coaches in the last 10 years. So since 2010, they've had nine different coaches. That's a lot. And since they last won gold, which would have been in 2012 at the IHF Worlds, they've had five different head coaches. It's a lot of different styles of hockey right there. Canada is on a nine-year gold medal drought. There's no doubt to me that they are going to come out hot. And I can't wait to watch them play the United States. My goodness, I'm so excited. It's going to be great. For Team Canada's sake, you know, I, I want them to do really well this World Championships. But very selfishly, I'm like, oh, we are Team USA all the way. Of course. Of course. Also in Group A... We have Russia. I'm expecting a lot out of Russia this tournament. They struggled in the past couple of years. They sang to bronze in 2013 and 2016, but they haven't quite broken out of the third to fifth places. Russia's ranked fourth internationally, and I think they really need to prove themselves this year. They've really, I don't want to say stagnating, but they've been kind of locked into the same position. Russia wants to break out of that, and I really think if they can turn it on this year, which I kind of expect them to do, we could be seeing some really interesting matchups with the North American teams, you know, Canada and USA and Russia and Finland, which we're going to talk about in a second. For sure. And we can definitely keep a lookout for Valeria Merkashiva. She's got a 0.941 save percentage this season and a few impressive shutouts and shootout wins under her belt so far this year. So keep an eye out for her. I'm excited to get to see her play in net for Russia. So we also have Switzerland in Group A. Switzerland is ranked fifth. They won bronze in 2012. And since then, they've been floating just out of reach in that top 10. They placed fifth in 2019, which is their highest placement since their bronze in 2012. So I'm expecting them to make a bid for that fourth place or that bronze medal position. I don't think a lot of people are expecting Switzerland to really push into those, you know, high medal rounds. But we'll see. They might be a sleeper this year. Yeah, you know, in doing my research, most of what I was able to find is that Switzerland is really just happy to be back on the ice. They were able to come together for their first camp in a year where they ended up hosting Germany for three exhibition games. Germany ended up taking the series, winning the first two of three games. But regardless of the scores, they just seem happy to be here. And I'm excited to get to watch them play. I know that first game was scoreless. It ended up going into a shootout and OT, which we'll talk about a little later when we cover Germany. But we should definitely keep an eye on their goalies. That's for sure, because they know how to keep the puck out of the back of the net. Ending the group A, we have Finland. So Finland is internationally ranked number three. And I really like Finland. They're a great national team. So they won silver in 2019. And I'm going to be honest, especially with what we've seen from Team Canada and their world championships, you know, appearances so far, I really think Finland could overtake Canada's spot as a number two team in the world if they really pull it out this year. You know, I I think we'll see another U.S.-Finland showdown in the gold medal round, and I'm ready for it. You know, next to Team USA, home country, love them. And Russia, which I've always like really liked Russian teams. I have to say, I really love watching Team Finland. They're definitely one of my top teams. So I'm expecting a lot from this them this year. And I'm happy to see them back on the ice. And I think this could be a really, really interesting matchup in Group A. I'm really excited to get to see Finland play 100%. They have slowly climbed their way through the ranks over the, the years. 
I would call them a sleeper team, but I really don't think they are anymore. I think they've been here and they've been here for quite a while. It's going to be really exciting to get the, to get to watch them to take the ice, especially if they end up playing Russia. It could be a really cool matchup. So should be really fun. Group A, I feel like we always kind of expect to see the same teams, you know, in those, you know, top tier divisions. We always kind of know what to expect. But I think Group B is going to be really, really exciting this year. And that's partly due to COVID and there being many, many like less teams that are involved in the Worlds this year. So Group B, we're going to start off with Hungary. They're ranked 12th. They're the lowest ranked team in Group B. You know, and they've been slowly moving up the standings. They're placing solidly within the early teens in the past few years. So for Hungary, there's not much pressure on them to perform, which might work in their favor. You know, I, I'll admit, I don't know much about what Hungary has been doing this past year. I don't know how many camps that they've had, you know, what their on-ice situation kind of looks like. But, you know, if they were able to come together and they can kind of mesh as a team, because there's less teams involved, Hungary really has a chance to kind of jump up higher in the standings than they have been in years previous. hundred percent. I mean, this is going to be a really interesting year in that a lot of teams, what their training would typically look like, it looks different, you know? And so I'm, I'm not saying that Hungary is going to come out and be the number one best team in the world. And we're going to see some crazy jump, but I would say that I think it's a really level playing field and that maybe some of the athletes who would have originally been getting some of the best training in the world have not had access to that training. And I'm interested to see what it what it does to the playing field in terms of teams that we maybe don't get to see shine as as often as usual. So sitting right next to Hungary, we have Denmark. They're ranked 11th in the world. And this was actually kind of surprising to me. I kind of forgot that, I think, in my head. Denmark have made their way into the top tier in 2019. So this will be their first big showing since then. Um, you know, so I'm excited to see what Denmark will bring to the table because they might be a sleeper team. You know, I wouldn't expect them again to be competing for a medal, but where they rank internationally could drastically change depending on their performance. This is a really big step for Denmark. So this is kind of a make or break year from them. Do they deserve to be in that top tier? Are they going to fall back again? This is a big tournament for Denmark. Denmark, we're ready for you. Like, let's go. Like, We're hyped to watch you guys get to play. Kat saying is going to be a big year for you. So I believe her wholeheartedly. Everything she says, I listen to. So no, but I'm excited to watch Denmark get to play. Kind of similarly, like I said, with Hungary, listen, like there's not a lot of information out on these teams right now, or honestly, just on the women's teams and the IIHF in general. So it does make kind of getting mentally prepared for what these games are going to look like a little difficult as a fan. but everyone's going to be in a pretty similar boat this year. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. I don't know. Denmark, we're ready for you though. If you are. <laughs> we're definitely ready for Denmark. And I feel like we're also ready for the Czech Republic. So they are ranked seventh internationally. They're another team working their way up. In 2019, they ranked six in the tournament. So not bad. And, and not, you know, too far out of that top five position. I think they're another team that can make a big push for that bronze medal you know, if they can pull it together on the ice. I really think the Czech Republic could kind of push for that. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, in group B where you have your big battles. And I think kind of pushing into that, you know, 
bronze position, you know, just outside of the top five, I think that's going to be where a lot of really great games are going to be played. And I think the Czech Republic is going to be at the center of that. They're really going to be looking to you kind of get out of that sixth position. Could be a big push for third or fourth. I honestly agree with you there. So we also have in group B, we've got the last two teams, Japan, who was ranked six overall internationally. Uh, you know, they haven't performed as well as I would have expected of an internationally ranked sixth team in the world championships. They're another team that I was kind of doing my research, looking back in the standings. You know, they're a little bit like Canada in the sense that they're they have a pretty high ranking considering, but their performances in the world championships compared to other major tournaments maybe isn't what we would expect of them. So for Japan, they've been floating outside the top five for the last few years. They've really been stuck in that like, you know, eighth, ninth spot. So I'd expect them to try to get out of that, that they've been stuck in since 2013. They really have been like stuck kind of in that, you know, uh, top 10, but kind of, you know, later top 10, I think Japan really wants to break out of that mold and really push themselves forward in the standings. Again, I wouldn't expect them to go for a medal, but it's also not all about the podium for a lot of these teams who, you know, aren't expected to medal. It's really about getting that international ranking a little bit higher, getting those top seeds every year, getting into those top divisions and top tiers. So for Japan, I think that's going to be their goal. I don't think they're necessarily going to be gunning for a gold medal, but I think their biggest thing is going to be looking to climb the standings a little bit and clinch that higher seed for next year. Yeah, and something to remember too is, especially for teams that maybe don't, there isn't that expectation for them to medal. I think when those teams can come out and keep it a close game, and it's not a 9-1, you know, when they can keep up and the pace is good and that makes for good hockey. And regardless of whether you medal or not, we, you know, we're, this is like some of the best skill in the world coming together to celebrate the game. So it's going to be exciting to get to watch these teams play and also to watch these teams who are trying to move up and trying to make their name make their place in hockey it'll be cool to get to do that I hope you know that it's not a crazy score and that we get to watch games that are nice and close not a good pace and I really hope that that Japan gets to pull that through for themselves yeah Japan's gonna be a fun one to watch the other team that I think is going to be so great to watch especially considering their exhibition games against Switzerland which I know you're dying to talk about mm -hmm. but Germany they're ranked eighth overall internationally and I think they'll be fighting with Japan to break into the top five. You know, these two teams mirror each other in terms of world appearances. So I think when it comes to deciding those fourth and fifth place spots, there's going to be some good battles because there's a lot of teams like Germany and like Japan who are going to be vying for that position. So, you know, hot tip, don't sleep on the later placement rounds in the tournament. But I also think with Germany, you know, we, we've said for a couple of these teams that there isn't a lot of information out there that's partially because of COVID, partially because, uh, you know, women's hockey, unfortunately, isn't covered as well as men's hockey. So there's like, you know, we don't quite know what to expect. It makes it hard to, you know, comment or value games or teams ahead of the world championships. But we've seen a lot with Germany. And I think their exhibition games against Switzerland is an indication of what Germany is going to bring to the table because they look like they have a great team together this year. 
Yeah, and Kat makes a really good point in saying that you cannot sleep on these later ranked teams like Germany and like Japan. And let me explain why. Because earlier we talked about the Swiss and the Germans facing off in a three-game exhibition series. And boy, did Germany's Jennifer Haars show up in net, okay? The game was scoreless, went to a shootout, to which it took 32 penalty shots before Emily Nix put one in the back of the net to give Germany the W. And I would continue to keep an eye on Nix throughout the tournament. She played a very important and active role in Germany's success against Switzerland throughout the exhibition. And I have no doubt that she'll continue to play an important role at Worlds. But this is a perfect example. Germany is ranked eighth, Switzerland's ranked fifth, and they went head to head literally for 32 rounds of a shootout before a puck was put in the back of the net. So it is going to be a fun world. I think even the teams that maybe we wouldn't expect to show up and be putting up these numbers. And I don't mean that literally because it was quite literally zero zero until the end of the game. But I mean, look at the saves on each side, like talk about the battle of goalies, right? So don't sleep on these later ranked teams. They've got skill and they have the talent and it is going to be a hell of a world. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. And you already know I'm excited to see Team USA and Russia in Finland, but kind of who are your top teams that you're really excited to watch? Oof, my top teams. Okay, I'm going to say, I'm thinking my top teams, I'm going Canada because they have got to be hungry, man. Like, they, I mean, we talk about the home of hockey, the birth of hockey, even though quite it wasn't in Canada, but we can pretend it was. Um, you know, we talk about the birth of hockey being Canada. I can imagine that they're going to be super excited, super hot to come out. They're going to be fun. Two, I'm going Finland. I'm going Finland. They are always right there. They always play good hockey and they no, undoubtedly give the U.S. and Canada runs for their money every single time they play. And honestly, I feel like this is very un-American of me just because I should say, the, you know, America, I, I'm excited to watch them. So maybe that goes without saying, but I am excited to watch Germany play. I mean, 32 rounds of a shootout is pretty awesome. And any goalies who can keep 32 rounds of pucks out of the net have my attention. Yeah, like I am listening. So I'm going Canada. I'm going Finland. I'm going Germany. I think we're going to see good hockey out of all three teams. You know, we we just expect great hockey from the U.S. at this point. No pressure, no pressure, ladies. But, um, you know, I think those teams we could definitely look out for. It's going to be good hockey all around. It's going to be fun. It's going to be so fun. We're going to be covering all of the IHF, you know, Women's Worlds on our social media. We're going to be talking about it on the podcast. So, you know, keep tuning in for coverage and our takes on it. But just, you know, to end with a little bit of the format, because if you aren't used to watching the World Championships, it might be a little bit confusing for you if you're a first-time, you know, viewer to that. So I want to break it down a little bit. So we have 10 teams in two tiered, five team groups for a, pre a preliminary round. So again, COVID year, 10 teams is way less than they normally have, but that's what we've got. In uh, all of these teams, you know, in Group A and Group B, will play a single round robin series. And the five teams from A play the best three of B to move on to a playoff round to move on to another playoff round. So they have the quarterfinals and the semifinals. The quarterfinals, the losers will play placement knockout games. 
don't sleep on these games. These are going to be really, really great. And these are the games that are really going to determine the seeding and the tiers for next year. And then of course the semifinals, you got the best ranked team versus the lower ranked team. And that has to do with tier and placement group. That's why group A and group B and these international rankings are really important to keep track of. Uh, and the winner of the semifinals moves to the gold medal round. The losers play for bronze, pretty, you know, simple, but that's basically how the format's going to work. So again, with 10 teams, it's a little bit different, but it's going to be some really, really exciting hockey and we cannot wait. Earlier, we talked about our hockey community highlight. And as you know, every week we highlight a member of the hockey community who is making an incredible impact. So this week we are going to highlight the Headway Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing education, aid, and awareness around head injuries in sports. The organization collaborates with teams and universities, supports head injury recovery through their concussion circle program, advocates for better evaluation and treatment for concussions, whiplash injuries, and post-concussion syndrome, along with other amazing athlete and community-based initiatives. All information as to where you can find Headway and how to access their resources will be in the description box of the episode below. If you want to get in touch with us, feel free to shoot us an email at balltalkers.offtheice at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at offtheice. All contact info will be listed in the description box of the episode. Until next time, I'm Sam. I'm Kat. And thanks for joining us on Off the Ice. Have a beautiful week.